Welcome to episode 37 of Casting the Nets. In today's episode, the guys continue their discussion again on Ratzinger and his book. And they go into a lot of great detail about what it means to grow an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. How it's important to be a sincere gift of self. And to quote Rick, how belief in the Trinity isn't nuts. (laughs) So it's an interesting episode Great discussion, as usual. Continuing on again, Joseph Ratzinger, episode 37, Casting the Net. Hi, I'm Father Dave Noss, together with Father of Four, Rick Lingva. Welcome to Casting the Net. We are in search for catching the faith. You're not going to do your welcome? Hey, um, we just got a good outtake there. <laughs> We're live. Take, take two. <laughs> Friends, it's Rick. It's Father Day. <laughs> of course, we're going to welcome you because we welcome. are so glad. <laughs> we are so glad that you're joining us for another part of our continuing conversation that we call Casting the Net. And we have both really enjoyed discussing um, a work that has been important to us called Introduction to Christianity. Both of us have been deeply influenced by this this work uh, written by then uh, a young father Joseph Ratzinger um which was part of a uh, a summer class that uh, that he taught in 1967 the book was his lectures were put together in a in a book form published 1968 in an english translated introduction to christianity and in both of us at different times in our lives stumbled across the book I mean, mm-hmm. the, or we might say divine providence placed it before us and in both both of our experiences it it really awakened uh, a desire to grow in our understanding of of what it is to be a christian who mm-hmm. it is to be a christian what does that mean what are the implications of that how do we explain this reasonably mm-hmm. logically uh, to others yeah yeah. And interestingly, I, I actually made contact with the book uh, again this week um, through the work of another theologian. Um, he he provided a uh, a quotation that we actually discussed in a previous episode and and um, and used it in his considerations in in the article. But the uh, the article is, is it's um, it's written by a, a theologian named um, Lawrence Feingold. I'm not familiar with him. He but... he teaches at uh, Kenrick Glennon oh, in seminary yeah, in St. Louis, uh, Louis St. Louis Seminary. Sure. There. Um, and the article is is titled "The Word Breathes Forth Life." I'm mm. sorry, the word breathes forth love. Actually, okay. Um, it's an article on something that's called the anal- the psychological analogy of the Trinity. Whoa! Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's it's, so. Just 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 a moment, because I mean, it's, it's worth talking about. All right, friends, friends, yeah. hang in there. You might want to put your seatbelts on if you're at uh, if you're at home. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a tool that was developed by Saint Augustine in the uh, in the fifth century, and it was later refined by Aquinas in the in the thirteenth century. Hmm. And it's just a way to think about um, how God is three and one simultaneously. Oh. Yeah. Um, in a coherent way, like yeah. it, it, it's it's a way of showing. It's a tool that's used to show how belief in the Trinity isn't nuts, mm. um, and it does so by pointing to um, something that's much more familiar to us as as humans, and that's um, our process of thinking and and loving. Mm. All right. So when when my when my brain works you know, on, on the rare occasion that it does <laughs> these days, but w- when it works, it it produces 
either, you know, a thought or a word or an idea. And that idea is distinct from me, but, but it's also within me. Still, yes. You know, just as, you know, the father generates uh, the divine word, the son. Mm. It's dis- distinct. It's distinct from, from him, the father. But it's, it's, it's still one with but the father. Is yeah. God. Right. That's right. Um, and the same is true of, um, of the action, the activity of my will. You know, when I, when I desire something or when I love something, there's like a movement or a force yes. um, in my will that's propelling me toward that thing. Yes. Um, and the same is true. It's, it's, it's within me, but it's distinct from me as well. And, and the same is true of the, the inner life of the Trinity, right? The, the, the love, which is the person of love, which is the Holy Spirit, um, is, you know, spirated or, or breathed forth yes. by the Father and the yes. Son so that it's distinct but also apart. Yes. Right. And what um, what uh, Lawrence Feingold does is he he draws on that that quote. I'm not going to read the entire quotation that we covered from Intro to Christianity, but just the the, the one that we discussed. It's um, to him who believes in God as triune, mm-hmm. the highest unity is not the unity of inflexible monotony, the model of unity or oneness toward which one should strive. Uh, is I'm skipping a little bit. Sure, <laughs> the unity of created the unity created by love. Stop right there. Let's go back to the beginning of that sentence. Mm. Is not inflexible monotony, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago about C.S. Lewis's musings, are we going to be bored in heaven? Yeah. Right? There's nothing inflexible or monotonous about the God of the universe who himself is this diffusion this perpetual diffusion of love, right? Mm, yeah. Never ceasing to love and never ever diminished in the capacity to love. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. In fact, in fact, he's 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 so um so bubbling over with love, so to speak, that that's where creation comes from. It is. You know. It's uh, and this is what uh Dr. Feingold goes into. Um he speaks about how um, you know, because God is the architect or the archetype of creation, there is both real diversity in the world and also real unity. Mm. You know, there's mm. both. Just as just as if you would look at a um, a piece of art, you know, you, you could you could know something about the artist. You could know about what his or her interests are and passions and um, what they prioritize in life and so on and so forth. But the same is true of of God acting, God creating, and then acting in creation. Yes. You know? Um, there is real diversity. You know, there there are gas giants and maple trees and protozoans and mm. everything, everything in between. Mm. Um, but underneath all that diversity is a more fundamental unity. Mm. We see this uh, in the natural world, world in the shape or in the form of uh, you know um, biospheres and mm. um, you know that sort of thing. Sure, you know, the creation kind of depends on each. Things in creation depend on each other. They hang yes. together. And we see that most profoundly in human relationships of friendship and love, mm. you know, um, that act of giving ourselves away in love is actually how we come to uh, to self-realization yes, or self-fulfillment. And if you just bear with me, there's another quotation I wanted to read Please. from the article, from Dr. Feingold's article. Um, this one actually comes from John Paul II, which is, I think we've discussed, you know, the, the, the Pope... And uh, well, both popes were sort of kindred spirits. Yes. John Paul and... Yeah, personal friends. Yeah. And, uh, and Benedict. Great colleagues. Right. And um, great champions. That's right. Of the faith. Yeah. 
Um, but this quotation that, that Dr. Feingold takes from um, John Paul II comes from an apostolic letter titled On the, uh, the Vocation and Dignity of Women. Mm. Um, and, and John Paul writes this. He says, being a person means striving towards self-realization, which can only be achieved through a sincere gift of self. The model for this interpretation of the person is God himself as Trinity, as a communion of persons. To say that man is created in the image, of like, image and likeness of God means that man is called to exist for, he emphasizes that, for others. Yes. To become a gift. Yeah. Go back again. Let's parse this out again. Yeah. First sentence again. Reread that, would you? Being a person means striving towards self-realization, like self-completion. Yes. Like we become most authentically yes. ourselves which can only be achieved through a sincere gift of self. Wow. That we can't become who it is that we've been created to be without giving ourselves away. Mm -hmm. The -hmm. paradox. Yeah, it is. Because the world would not have the second right. part of that sentence included. I'm going to hold on to myself. I'm going to hold what, on to myself. Mine mine, and I'm going to stake and, my yeah. claim and I'm going to beat you to the finish line anyway. Yeah. So, but yet the paradox is... Or, and, Maybe a better way of saying this is not referring it to it as a paradox, but the Christic, the Christic standard mm-hmm. is self outpouring yeah. for self actualization to happen. Right. Where is um, Christ uh, strongest and truly free and representative of of a love beyond all imagining on the cross? On the cross yeah. And he still bears the the wounds of yes of the, uh, the upon the re- the resurrection yeah, the is, wounds is are born by, they're yeah. not miraculously healed and hidden mm-hmm. but they're part and parcel of the glorified body that's right I sometimes think uh, I, I don't think I know this um, like religious skeptics and secular people will oftentimes criticize Christians or religious people in general but is, is holding on to their religion as sort of a, a security blanket. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a, it, we're, we're, we're sort of deceiving ourselves in order to cope with the hardness of the world. Yes. I mean, certainly Freud. Well, that's a Marxian yeah, well, I mean, Freud, claim. Freud says this famously, uh, but it, it's a very popular sure. And Marx you, is it's opium for the people. That's right. Right. I mean, if you go into a, you know, Facebook and look at the, the comment sections of any religious oh. post or Twitter, you're going to, you're going to see that criticism, but it's a silly criticism as any serious Christian knows, because Intimacy with Christ doesn't inoculate you from suffering. In fact, it might actually make suffering more readily available for you. Because to be intimate with Christ means to love the way Christ does. And that means opening yourself up to fallible, sinful people more Mm. often. Mm. And thus the possibility of being manipulated and exploited and abused and treated shabbily and hurt. Mm. You know? Mm. So, you know... uh, again, you know, intimacy in Christ doesn't inoculate us from, from suffering. What it does is it helps us understand suffering. Yes. Helps us, um, see it as, um, having not the final word in our lives yeah. and helps us to, um, helps us to bear it patiently. Yeah. You know, as, as, a, as, as a opportunity for growth, even. Right. You know, just there, to, there is something within us naturally that, you know, we, we want to avoid suffering at all costs, right? There's something that's fallen and broken that way where it's a retreat hmm. deeper into self, not a, um, an extension of self as um, giving and poured out, where I'm only going to find true freedom in that way, but rather a retraction. Uh, the fear 
of suffering um, that um, causes me to curl up, if you will, fetal position. Mm. I don't want anything to do with that. And the world just so honors that today. And when I'm speaking of the world here, I'm talking about those who don't proclaim Christ crucified. That's right. right? And therefore, what's the greatest evil for one who um, doesn't believe in Christ? Well, the greatest evil is suffering itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And therefore, that's to be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. And we see egregious excuses that's right. to bring about uh, the end to any kind of inconvenience mm-hmm. that's justified because suffering itself is the end to be avoided. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a timely message for me as a, as a parent of four small kids. I mean, not, not that—I mean, suffering is too— too strong of a word, but I mean, there, there, there are inconveniences I, I face every day. There's sure. things I would rather not do. Sure. Um, but annoyances, annoyances irritations, some, frustrations. Some pain occasionally, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't feeling great earlier today. All I wanted to do was lay down for a little bit, but, uh, you know, my two preschoolers were having none of that. <laughs> they, they wanted me to get up and, and make messes with them, <laughs> which of course I would then have to clean up. So, but, um, but no, I mean, to, to the secular mind, that makes no sense. Right. You know, I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. But the, the paradox that you spoke about earlier um, sees it as a way of, of self-realization. Yeah. To, to, to quote, to use John Paul II's words again. Yeah. You know, opportunity for growth. Yeah. I might say that really practically this way, practically in terms of what do we do with that? What do we do when the, when the suffering, maybe that suffering is experiences inconvenience, irritation, annoyance, yeah. um, frustration. Um, what do I do with that? Well, that is precisely where God is to be encountered. That's right. Right there. So how might I do that? I might just say, Lord, um, reveal yourself to me. Lord, heal me. Um, Lord, help me. Hmm. As opposed to trying to change my feelings mm-hmm. that are negative yeah. and then somehow make my way to God. No, it's it's in the distress. However superficial or intense that distress may be that I'm to encounter him. Mm -hmm. He's God, he's there and he alone is going to pull me through that distress together with him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that reminds me of, um, some really great advice that I received from a spiritual director once he said, you know, Rick, you're, you're waiting for life to begin with all these great landmark moments in your life. You know, you're waiting for the, uh, you know, the uh, waiting to find the perfect spiritual director. You're waiting to, to finally break that bad habit. You're waiting for this and that. God's meeting you right now. Oh. And you're missing it, you know. And it, it's, I mean, it's it's such powerful advice. I mean, life, yeah. life's what happens when we wait <laughs> or something along. That. I don't know what the cliche is exactly, but that that's the gist of it. Can I quote you on that? Well, I, I, don't, I can't give attribution to, to <laughs> I don't know where it comes from exactly, Gosh. but I, I don't want to get sued. Rick, there's so... <laughs> this but it's is a, true. Oh, it's totally true. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's not just a problem or challenge of today. Let, let's no, be clear. absolutely not. Let's be it's probably clear. worse today. I don't even know if it's worse or not. There's a human proclivity mm. yeah. to be comfortable. And that proclivity to be comfortable is also the... Um, it's the diminishment of needing to have faith. Yeah. Right. That's right. That I'm going to control my situation and my outcome. And until I'm able to do that, I'm not going to act. Mm-hmm. So very practically, gee, we're not going to get married until we have a certain 
financial threshold yes. until we have certain academic or professional right. success until this, that, and the other thing. And there's a whole list of conditions that have yeah. to be met. And of course, those conditions are actually quite um, arbitrary, quite arbitrary. Well, they're, yeah. they're totally arbitrary, yeah. really. I mean, effectively. And also they themselves will, because they're arbitrary, they'll be shifting. That's right. You know, what about, what about going through the process of grad school yeah. together? So you grow together as a couple. What about yeah. going through the process of finding a job and relying on your spouse? Yes. So that you, grow to get, you know, yes. The vulnerability yeah. of having to depend upon him or her in a way that I've never had to depend on anybody previously. Yeah. So yeah. on and so forth. And how the Lord uses that. Gosh, as a, as a priest, if, if I had waited for the moment until I was perfectly equipped <laughs> and perfectly prepared, I would still so not be launched be right into now. ministry. No, no. <laughs> right, right. No sooner do I arrive in my first assignment than I realize nobody's read the books I studied. <laughs> you right. know? No one They're, cares. No one cares. <laughs> I have all these degrees. I have these you degrees. You want me to show them to you? Right. And it was, it was, it was other things about my son or my daughter or my spouse or my job or my health or my mind. Yeah. Right. Those are the pressing issues and that we are in no way, shape or form diminishing the importance of theology at all whatsoever. Hmm. We're acknowledging the fact that conditions are not to be met in order for God to be engaged. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think um, we get great examples of that in the saints, the lives of the saints, the more we learn about any, them. Any come to your mind? Uh, Teresa of Calcutta comes oh. immediately to mind. Oh. I mean, we, we, we think, you know, 20th century, who, who's closer to God than Mother Teresa? You know, right. I mean, we, we can't think of somebody right. probably. I mean, she's, she's, she's well-known and admired and adored by religious and non-religious people alike. Yeah. Come to find out after she dies that she lived a good chunk of her life in yeah. darkness. Yeah. And what did she do? Spiritual heredity, not feeling God. And what did she do? She she cleaved even more fiercely (laughs) to to Christ. I mean, you you read her her spiritual um, journal, um, and that's that's her remedy. Yeah, you know that that's 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 the antidote for her is to uh, to to cling even more closely to uh, to Christ crucified and risen. And isn't tell me that in a in a moment of great distress with one of your children. I mean, absolutely. They cling even harder. Yeah, right. It, it totally is. As you will provide, you alone, perhaps yeah. who, in that who else moment, they go to, to them, will provide the security that they're desperately seeking. Sure, there's definitely a human analog to that um, in in the family, most yeah. in a, most profoundly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it is. And and I can say, not with my own biolog- biological children, but. But my own, uh, my own family, uh, closest of friends. Mm-hmm. There's, there's that similar, that dynamic is yeah. similar. And even the spiritual so. uh, paternity of, you know, the priesthood, sure, and and the care you have for the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the, the people who've been entrusted to you, um, you know, that that sort of care can be, can be seen as well. Friends, we are so glad that you have spent this time with us. We hope it was worthwhile. <laughs> We enjoyed it if we, you did. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> we really do enjoy being together, and we're happy to share it with you. Delighted that uh, some of you are are finding it um, um, edifying and uh, and helpful and encouraging as as um, as together we continue 
Casting the Net. Friends, he's Rick, and I'm Father Dave, a dad and a priest, together trying to become better fathers by catching Christian faith. Thanks for joining us for our conversation, and we hope that you'll connect with us next week for Casting the Net.